Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the talented and determined Amina Mohammed. Amina and I met virtually only recently, but I felt a quick connection to her as we chatted over Zoom. You know that kind of connection that goes deep fast and you feel like you could talk for hours? That was us. I was struck by how Amina has incorporated her passions for photography, travel, and philanthropy, and is literally changing the lives of young women in Africa. I can't wait for you all to hear her inspiring story. Welcome, Amina. Thank you, Kim, and thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to share my story. Absolutely. So your love of photography wasn't always a professional endeavor for you. You spent 15 years in film and television producing series, documentaries, and movies. So how did you fit photography in during that time? And what brought you back to it as your full-time gig? Um, you have all day? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so uh, when I finished uh, college, I had actually gone in for fashion design and I graduated and I was making wedding dresses by hand, hand beading, hand sewing, and nobody was buying. Like they all wanted off the rack and I was getting very depressed. So I saw the opportunity to join film and television in the wardrobe department. And it was like life changing, but I'd already, I'd always had a passion for photography. Um, my first camera at the age of 10, like most kids, and I always had my camera with me, but for some reason, I never followed it as an endeavor in college, mostly because I grew up in a very strict Muslim household. I watched my mom sewing, like my mom was a designer, my mom sewed, so it was just natural for me. Um, I wasn't that great at school, so um, it was like, what do I do for the rest of my life? Um, but film opened up a whole new world to me. And after I finished in wardrobe, my last film was American Psycho, actually. Oh, cool. And I'd hurt my back really bad. I was on my back for six months, didn't know what I would do. Went back to school and I learned how to produce. And so then I came out and I was producing. And that's when I picked up the camera again. And it would with, be with me as I went to each set. And then um, after I finished my tour of film and television, which was 15 amazing years, uh, we were going to adopt. Working in film and television is no life for a family. I had worked with many people who were divorced because the hours were crazy. So my husband didn't necessarily give me an ultimatum, but it was a soft ultimatum like, hey, do we want a life or do you want to continue? And right. I miss it. I miss it so much, but um, I, I've done so many other things. It was amazing. So after staying home with our adopted child who has special needs, I had to look for something else because I'm not a stay at home kind of type of woman. And photography kept calling me back. And to be honest with you, I'd gone through a little bit of a depression um, because parenting a special needs child and staying home, it's not easy. And it wasn't something that I was ready for or prepared for because we didn't know that she had these special needs when we adopted her. So it was learning a whole new school, uh, like skill. Mm -hmm. First, you're trying to learn how to be a mom, and then you have to learn about special needs and deal with all of that. And it like cut me at the knees. So the journey back into photography started because my cousin called me and said, hey, we want family portraits. And I'm like, I haven't picked up a camera like professionally in years. And she's like, I don't care. And as soon as I had that camera in my hands, I knew that was where I belonged. 
And, but it had to mean something to me. It just couldn't mean picking up the camera and taking portraits. It had to, there had to be a message and there had to be a purpose. So that's how I got back into it. I love that. And what a purpose. Yeah. Wow. I mean, my husband calls me crazy. (laughs) Well, I know you had said when we talked earlier that he is supportive. Oh, it's incredible. And how important that has been in following this passion. Oh, absolutely. Because it takes um, a family in order to allow you to do um, like a big endeavor like this. And it started in August 2017. I literally woke him up in the middle of the night and I said, I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And he was literally like, oh my God, here we go again. (laughs) Because admittedly, I'm always coming up with crazy ideas, but I was determined. So he went back to bed. It was four o'clock in the morning and I stayed up and I made the plan. And a year later, I was in Uganda and I was teaching 15 girls in the art of photography. So Amazing. it was, yeah, it was just meant to be. So this, so what we're talking about is cameras for girls, yes. which is your vision that has come to life. Yes. So please tell everybody about this incredible effort that you've been doing the last few years. So it started, um, like I said, with the idea of teaching photography to girls, but there had to be a vehicle behind it because getting charitable status was going to be a long road. And I knew that. Um, so we're three years in now, August, this past August was supposed to be our third tour, but of course COVID had other ideas. Um, so it's a two-parter. The first part is triple F photo tours, which uh, is where fun photography and philanthropy meet. Mm -hmm. That's my tagline. Love it. And uh, I take uh, enthusiast or amateur photographers on a photography tour of Uganda to show them the beauty and the sights and gorillas and safari and all the, you know, things people want to see. And I combine that with three days of teaching photography, where the philanthropy part comes in, to local girls who are studying to be journalists. Amazing. And that came about because my friend and journalist friend in uh, Uganda said to me, when I was endeavoring to just teach photography, he said, you have to pick a niche and I would urge you to choose girls who are studying journalism. And I, my first reaction was like, why would I teach girls who are studying journalism? They already have the skills. They're already in school. What am I going to do? And um, unlike here in North America, where we are given the tools to do our job. So if you're hired as a journalist, you write the article, you don't have to know photography, own a, a camera and be able to take the photos for your article. In Uganda, you do. Mm -hmm. You need to own it. You need to know how to use it. And you need to do like A to Z to get that article published. So it didn't become clear until after my first training when a a young girl named Jonita had a job for five months at a newspaper, was not getting published, was not getting paid. Her name was just on the roster. Two days after we finished our first training, she went and showed her editor the camera that she could use it. And now she gets paid and published four times on average a week. And now we've trained, I've taught rather 32 girls to date and nine now have full-time jobs in some capacity. That's incredible. Yeah. So tell me what happens. So after you leave Uganda. Yeah, I come home. So how do you continue your their training or your relationships with these young women? Absolutely. So what I've done is made uh, connections in Uganda. 
So Kenny uh, from Youth Arts Movement Uganda, for instance, will invite the girls on filmmaking camps and he'll also teach them editing while I do online uh, tutorials, uh, videos that are released every week, uh, have them do assignments. So I will put out um, an assignment on Aperture, for instance, and explain what it is. And then they'll have to submit photos for review. And then I also ask them to um, combine it with an article that they're writing so that it gives them that basis of training, whether they're looking for a job or they're still in school, it gives them that further advancement. And with COVID, we really ramped up online. So we're doing even more. And I've also um, released a um, online tutorial on how to do resumes and cover letters and get your LinkedIn profile done. Oh, wonderful. Because it's not just about learning photography and knowing how to write articles. It's about the whole package. Yes. And two weeks ago, we also held a a two-day portrait uh, studio for them so that the girls could come and get professional portraits done by one of our amazing volunteers, Daniel Moxie, who's an amazing photographer in his own right. And he did portraits of whoever could come. And now they can get their LinkedIn profiles professionally. Like, you know, you have 10 seconds to impress somebody. And if you don't have a good image to go along with your profile, then people are gonna turn away. So now it's, it's, we provide the whole package. That's incredible. Yeah. It's great that you have this online connection with them, especially during COVID times, Mm -hmm. that you're able to continue to be a part of their lives and to help them, like you say, have that whole package so that they can be successful. And what you had indicated when we talked before was a male-dominated industry. Very male-dominated. And simply because you're male, you'll get the job over the girl, regardless of what your resume says. And so we're out to change that, right? Working with um, themes of female empowerment and gender equality, education as a right. You are speaking my language, woman. (laughs) Oh my goodness, yes, yes. (laughs) And it's like, people look at that as just fluff, but it's not. Like if you look at the statistics, a girl will, if if you educate a girl, you change the world. She will go so far. But if you look at the statistics and they're very sad, many girls are not even educated simply because the family cannot afford to educate both of their children, all their children. Right. And in Africa, they're taught or preached to have children. It will enrich you, but they're not taught or preached of how to feed, clothe or educate them. Hmm. So families will have many children and simply based on economics, especially in Uganda, where education is not free, they'll choose to educate the boys if they have the money over the girls. Yeah, I always tell, you know, I have three daughters, as you know, and I always impress upon them how lucky they are to be growing up in North America and that they should be grateful for the opportunities that they're given. Obviously, we still have a way to go here for Equality, absolutely. But, you know, we talk about other parts of the world where girls are not valued as much or, you know, they're not given the opportunities with education and that kind of thing. And I always try to, you know, let them know to be grateful for what they do have here and, you know, when we can to help in other parts of the world. And you are absolutely doing that. And I think it's so amazing. I didn't realize the gift that I had been given when you're young. You don't realize those, right? We came to Canada as refugees from Uganda. That's why I do this work in starting in Uganda. 
And um, my dad and my mom always preached education, education, education. And my sister has gone very far with her education. I didn't take it as seriously. And, you know, you learn differently. So in school, I was not inspired to learn the way I should have because I wasn't taught the right way. I'm a very inquisitive person. I always have questions. And if you don't answer those questions, then I quickly turn off. I'm not one of those people where if you say it just is, it's good enough for me. That's why I'm out to change the status quo. Yes. Um, but even had we stayed in Uganda and our lives not been disrupted by Idi Amin, who was the president of the time, I would have been given those rights to have been educated and have been probably sent to England to be educated simply because we were Indian and we were in the richer upper class, whereas my African brother or sister would not have had that opportunity. And so I'm out to show or, or I'm out to do my make a difference in my own way and, and to bring up who I can as much as I can and show them that there is life outside of Uganda. And even if they want to stay in Uganda, give them the opportunity to compete on their own merit. I'm loving everything you're saying. And I think it's a great lesson for not only your own daughter, yes. but for others around you that you had a vision. And even though it was so far away and it was, you know, such a big undertaking that you as one person set off to make this happen. And yep. now obviously you've built a community of not only the girls who you're training, but also other contacts in Uganda. And I just think that is such a beautiful lesson to show that one person, you know, wh who has a really great idea and who has the passion can make a difference in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say if it one thing that I will tell people is if you have a dream, never ever let you anybody say to you it's crazy or you can't do that or it's never going to happen. Just put one foot in front of the other and it's going to be hard. Like there's not one day that I'm thinking, "Oh my god, I, I can't do this anymore because I'm doing it on no money. I am so grateful to the people who have donated used cameras and or donated to my GoFundMe cause because they see the value in it. But even then, it's like so hard to make this happen in another country. But I, I urge people who have a dream, there's always a way. Mm -hmm. Never, ever give up. Just keep going. And there's always a, a road to make things happen. There's always a way. I love that. Your community will carry you forward. Oh, I love that. Does everyone hear that? Listen to that. <laughs> Rewind and listen to that again. <laughs> that is a beautiful message. Thank you. I remember when we were talking before, you have a very special role model in your life. I do. Your younger sister. Can you tell us about yeah. her? My sister is Farah Mohammed. And um, many people will know Farah. She's got the Governor General's Award. Amazing. She was um, nominated, I think, twice as top 20 females to watch by McLean's magazine. And uh, she started her own charity many years ago called Girls 20. And what she would do is bring, they would go all over the world, uh, places like Turkey, Russia, uh, Mexico. They started in Canada. And they would have 20 girls from developing and underdeveloped nations come and present their pitches and learn from uh, how to translate those pitches into um, actionable 
items that they could take back to their own country, economic initiatives that they wanted to out, like roll out in their own countries to help women and, and the general populace. And she would take the best um, of those and present it at the G20. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she did that for many years. And then Malala of the Malala Fund came knocking and uh, she worked with them as their CEO. I look up to her because she took every opportunity and, uh, you know, she's just, she's just somebody who pushes forward. She never lets, she's like me, but even better. She never lets <laughs> anybody tell her no. She never lets anything stop her. She just takes the reins and she runs with it. And the work that she's done for girls around the world, especially, is just really inspiring. And so people will say to me, oh, you just want to be your sister or you want to be like your sister. No, I want to be my own person. But I'm proud to have my sister inspire me and guide me in Absolutely. my work, right? And there's so many amazing people around the world who are doing amazing things. Malala, for one. Oh, absolutely. Right? So I, I would just say, um, I just... I just want to give a shout out to her because I like every day she inspires me. I have to say, so you two strong, amazing, kick-ass ladies come from the same family. Obviously, I I hope your parents are very proud of both of you for being incredible people. And I'm just curious, how did you both come to, you know, the empowerment of women and girls being your your thing like how did that I think um coming from Uganda we had nothing in 72 we were um like literally nothing you know my parents always told us always passed on the message that give back always give back and it'll come back to you in spades even if you have nothing give back so I'm a Rotary Club member I'm a very proud Rotarian and our big initiative is the um, polio fund and mm-hmm. so we've almost eradicated polio around the world. But I've always volunteered in some capacity because I totally believe that by giving back to, in this world, you enrich the world so much. And even if you have nothing, giving something will make somebody else's life better. And for my sister, it was always about women and girls. For me, it came after adopting Haley and wanting something better for her. As a child uh, with special needs, she has it 10 times harder than her peers. And I want to see her succeed in whatever way life has for her. I grew up with the message that you must be a doctor, you must be this, you must be that. And uh, we always say to Haley that as long as you do your best, you can be anything and everything you want in this world. The world is your oyster. You just have to work hard at it and take the opportunities. Yes. Right? And that is the exact advice I give to my own daughters. Yep. Because we don't know what life's going to be like uh, after COVID. Yeah. And regardless of after COVID or not COVID, life for kids and and the young people are so much harder than when we were growing up. Right. Yeah. But I, at the same time, I also watched um, the numerous refugees that are coming in every year and how hard it is for them. When it comes to another passion project, it's working um, to help refugees. Hmm. So during COVID, my happy days were Tuesdays when I could go and deliver food for the food pantry. And I would say 75% of those were new refugees and 25% are already like, you know, people who lost their jobs or what have you due to COVID. To, To see how one box of food or three boxes of food could make a difference 
it's humbling yeah. and you have to realize what you have and the, the and it might not be nice to say this but the one thing that pisses me off is when people complain about what they don't have rather mm. than look at what they do have absolutely like when i go to uganda and that's when you can say what you don't have and yet those people will give you the shirt off their back even if it's the only thing they have and yeah. it's like it's incredible the difference right yeah. we complain about oh my cell phone's not working or i need a new well you know what suck it up buttercup because you've got so much that you don't need that is true. I think, you know, challenging your perspective, challenging your mindset and really focusing on what you have and what you should be grateful for and the stuff that you don't need. Like you said, there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's something that also we've tried to teach our kids is, you know, instead of stuff, let's talk about experiences and, absolutely, you know, people Uh, you know, family, friends, like that's the kind of stuff at the end of the day, like God forbid your house burns down, knock wood, it won't, may knock some wood. (laughs) (laughs) But um, you know what? None of that stuff matters. No, not at the end of the day. It's really just those people. And that's what makes your life. That's what enriches your life. Abs. Oh, enrich. That is exactly (laughs) the word that I wanted to use. You are so right. And right now I'm really, really missing uh, going to Uganda and being with the people there. And it's just, it's different. They're just, you know, the first time I went was in 2007 and I was there to do a documentary about the return of the Indians who had left. And I was not born in Uganda, by the way, my parents, my sister were, I was born in England, but it's always felt like home. Mm. So growing up as a kid, we'd have African music on and I'd be dancing. My mom says I could dance before I could walk. And it's just something that uh, it's just, it's a feeling you have, you know, when you go somewhere, that feeling of being in Uganda's home. Oh, I love that. So you mentioned that there are other countries yeah. that could benefit where girls could benefit from cameras for girls. Yeah, absolutely. There's other countries that have reached out such as Mexico, Costa Rica, uh, Afghanistan, and now Nigeria the other day in Congo. So lots of countries are seeing the benefit of what we're doing. And so what I've done in the meantime, since we can't travel is invite the girls of those countries of, of those organizations to join, um, our private Facebook group where I release videos every week so that they can start to benefit. Um, and we're trying to figure out how do we get a camera in their hands, Mm. whether it be a phone or an actual camera, whether they be rented for a two-day conference. So we're, we're working on that. In the meantime, I've also reached out to a local organization in Newmarket to pitch the same thing, um, where they really promote uh, working with girls and bringing them up and teaching them valuable skills. So I've promoted us teaching um, in line with Cameras for Girls uh, quarterly workshops in hopes that giving them the gift of teaching them photography to find their voice especially during troubled times where the an image speaks so much louder, obviously, than words sometimes, um, but teaching, teaching them how to find that inner voice through their imagery and bring out that. So 
Yeah, we're just expanding our options wherever we can. Yeah, so this is really just the beginning for you. You have an enormous so. vision for touching the lives of many other girls yeah. and young women. Yeah. There was another topic that we talked about, and I wanted to touch on it today because I think it's something that a lot of women can relate to, especially during these COVID times, mm-hmm. but really always. Um, I think COVID's just heightened so many things, right? But you talked about the emotional burnout that women can feel. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm feeling it. Like during COVID, when everybody was at home, my husband never was fully at home because he works in a segment that was considered, uh, what was the term they had? Essential. Essential. Thank you. So he was an essential, but he was there three days and two days at home so I could get a break. Haley and I, through our journey of adoption, we didn't bond. So COVID being stuck at home together gave us that opportunity. So I'm really grateful for that, that we finally bonded and we found an inroad. But then September came, he went back full time. She went to school full time. And then I was experiencing empty nest and that emotional burnout because now not only were they out of the house, but now I'm trying to run a business, having to do the house stuff, right? Worry about, is this, that, and everything else done? And can I get my blog written? And can I get my newsletter out? And can I get this done? And trying to self-care, which is non-existent, and then feeling that emotional burnout coming. Yeah. And, and not knowing how to, to deal with it at all. And so I was on a call with a bunch of other photographers on Friday. I hadn't been for a while, so I checked in. And this is an amazing group of women from all over the world. And they all felt the same way. And I was like, I'm not alone. And I talked to other friends and same thing kept on coming up. And I realized it was already there prior to COVID. I just didn't know what to call it. Yeah. And now it's really brought it home. And it's this fear of the second shutdown coming, Mm -hmm. which is inevitable and not knowing how to deal with homeschooling again and not knowing how to deal with, you know, not being able to get outside as much because the the temperature is dropping and I don't do well with the winter. So all those things that are just constantly in turmoil inside, it becomes like a tornado of emotions and I don't know how to let it out. And photography is my outlet, Mm -hmm. but it's not enough right now. And I don't know how to deal. And I think it's not, I'm not alone. I think it's everybody feeling that. And in a family that deals with mental health every day, because I have a child with mental health issues and other like anxiety, uh, fetal alcohol from birth and, um, you know, reactive attachment disorder. There's so many things and who struggles in her own way. I'm supposed to be the strong one. I'm supposed to be the guiding force for her and the guiding light. And if I can't be that, then that's another pressure that I'm inevitably putting on myself and not knowing how to deal with it. I think that's something that we need to kind of open up and and let women, you know, have the time to deal with it and have the community of support and understanding to deal with it. 
it's important to talk about these things because I think a lot of times, you know, that image that we want to put out there of, you know, we've got it all figured out, we've exactly. got it all together. Yeah. And it's actually so harmful because when we don't show that vulnerability, when we don't show that we're in need of support and help, our mental health just suffers, right? Yeah. And so I think there's such a value in just showing up and being like, you know what? I'm exhausted. I'm screwing up here. Yep. I don't want to make dinner tonight. I want to do a frozen pizza right. for three nights in a row. Exactly. I, I like there's a mountain of laundry. My project at work is late, whatever it is. It's like there's such a value in just saying I am struggling. Yeah. And then I guarantee, because I've experienced this when we talked in my group of friends, everyone will be like, oh my God, me too. Yeah. Thank you for saying yeah. it. And it's like you give people the permission when you say it to then say it too. It's like, yeah, because everybody's trying to hold it together. Oh, God. And, and they can't. And so what's the reason? Like, absolutely. Just let it out. I guarantee you, if you tell another woman, she's going to get it. Men might not, because they see life differently and they're struggling in their own way yeah and they feel that they need to be the strong one so it's 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 dual it's not just women that's I think true it's dual yeah i agree but men are processing it differently than women are yeah like last week i literally said to my husband and my daughter okay i'm tired of being a bitch because yeah, you're allowed to say it <laughs> because uh you know i'm struggling i can't hold it together and as soon as i let it out and i just let it out. Yeah. It was sort of like, oh, okay. Now how do I deal with it? Yeah. And what, how do I ask for help? Because yeah. I'm not one who asks for help. I'm one who, growing up, I always had to be the strong one. Always had to help everybody else. And so it's very hard for me. Even when I was struggling with Haley, I would not be the one who wanted to go to support groups because I would take everybody else's problems home with me and then not know how to process them and then turn into a bitch. Yeah. So now I'm learning at 51 <laughs> how to grow up and ask for help, yeah. right? And it's and I'm not easy and it's not easy being vulnerable. Yeah. But vulnerability opens up the gates to so much healing. Oh, so much. And, and support. Support. Absolutely. Which is so essential. And yes. so my husband literally said, okay, what do you need? And I was like, oh, okay, I need this, this, and this. And he's like, do it. Oh, good. Right? And just do it. And then same to him. Yes. You're not doing it for yourself. What do you need? Right? Yeah. I think that's important that you mentioned that it is men and women. I th I mean, my whole universe is, I feel like is women, 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 just because I have three daughters and it's just my mission in life, you know, but have you read or listened to um, Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed? No, I've been, it's on my list. Of, is it's, it really good? It's really good. And it's going off on a tangent here, but I think it's important because one thing that I really, that I learned from that book was the, you know, in terms of how we're brought up, society's norms and, and expectations, you know, with girls, we know it's like, oh, be quiet, be nice, you know, whatever, be pretty. But she turned that around and she said, boys and men also get a version of that and theirs yep. is be strong don't show motion don't cry that's it and i that really like light bulb moment for me because just in my own relationship with my husband i was thinking yeah that makes total sense and it just it opened my eyes to the fact that you know we have you know we're brought up in a certain way and we kind of have to try to break free from those like gender norms 
Yeah, because they're be. holding us. They're holding us back. They are, and right? it's like we just have to be who we are. Yeah, we don't have exactly. to be more manly. We don't have to be more feminine. Like we just, just be need who the to hell you want to be. Express yeah. whatever emotions come up for yeah. us, and just be. And see, that's how we grew up, and that's how I was parenting because that's you parent the way you're parented. Right? Yes, not to say my parents were bad. They were wonderful people, but it's different generations, and so until we, uh, my husband and I gave our daughter the freedom to express herself the way she needed to express herself, we started to see change in her. And we can't believe the change that we see now from the girl she was a year ago or 10 years ago, whatever. It's incredible. And that's because we learned how to parent differently. We learned how to parent more openly and, you know, even actually talk to her about her mental health and our mental health and be open with it yes. and show her that she's not alone in this journey. It's everywhere she looks yeah. and not to be afraid about expressing it and not to be afraid about like, you know, talking openly about it because there's no shame. The shame is what's killing us. Shame around everything that we live our lives around. That's Sh- so true. Shame is so damaging. It's like it, you know, I grew up with shame. We're, we're Indian. <laughs> That's our, our middle name. Shame. So, you know, when you can let the shame go, you learn how to be free and you learn how to be come into who you truly are. And it took me too long to come into who I truly am and who I truly want to want to be. But you know what? I am. I feel like there's sh- there shouldn't be a timeline on that stuff. And I'm just thrilled to sit across from you today and, and see this incredible woman who you are. And obviously I haven't known you for very long, but I feel like here you are in all of this awesomeness and good for you. And it doesn't matter that it took 51 years to get where you are. The fact that you're here is so incredible. And the fact that you have this like I said before, this vision of even more greatness for the future yeah. is so amazing. So kudos to you. Thank you. And I have to say, going back to parenting real quick, because there's definitely like I had such a such childhood, <laughs> but that's another episode, though. <laughs> exactly. So there are definitely, you know, things that you take from how you were parented that you use with your own kids. Mm-hmm. But then there are, like you said, there are things that you have to change mm-hmm. and adjust and I feel like, especially now, like we're both in that teenage phase, holy moly. I know. You know, we have to let go of that control because we can't just tell them, you do this, you do that anymore. It has to be this like mutual like conversation. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. Like, no, I'm the parent, but that is very, a, a very old way of thinking, isn't it? Is. it right? It is. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not just you're going to do what I say. It's this evolving relationship where now they want to and should have input in their decision making in yeah. their lives right yeah, because, because it we is their lives we are yeah we're yeah. Tr- we're trying to teach them to be independent thinkers right yeah. so how do we do that we have to let them yep. be part of the process and it's like oh my god yeah it's scary it, it is, is scary it's such a I, i'm in but the it's also surprising it. sometimes like uh, when i give her that freedom and she tells me exactly how she feels how she thinks what she wants how empowering it is for me yes. to see her become 
who she truly is meant to be. Yes. Right. And that's and what I like, think is a really beautiful thing. And, and you touched on it earlier, you know, we're not just, you know, gone are the days when it's like, you're going to, you can be a doctor or a lawyer, you pick. Yeah. No, you know, to, and to, it still happens in t- many of today's it, families, unfortunately. It, yes, that is true. That yeah. is true. But I think, like you said, that empowerment piece and, and, and it's a, a freedom for us to just say, as long as you're, I mean, at least I, you know, in my parenting, I'm like, if you're going to work hard and follow your passions, you be whatever you want to be. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I feel like it's, the world is your oyster. The, and I you say don't that have to, to be one the or the other. Thing. And look at how many people have gone to become doctors and lawyers and still not working. Because, I mean, right? Well, and it's not only that they're not working, but they're not fulfilled. They're not fulfilled, And I think yeah. that's a key piece yeah. that these millennials and generation, whatever the next generation, what is it? I don't even Zed? know. I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> whatever this current generation is called that's coming up. They, they're going to really hit the nail on the head as far as not only making a living, which obviously is important, mm-hmm. but in being fulfilled and having meaning. And experiences, in, is, which is what you said earlier. Yes. And yeah. I think, gosh, good for them. Because oh, I, I when would, I was coming up, it's probably yeah. the same for you. It's like, make money, do something that, you know, makes you money. And that was Buy like house, the only... have kids, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, follow everybody yes, else's pay path. your mortgage, you know. Yeah. And, and I think now... And it's a little scary, right, mm-hmm. to let them go. But I feel like, you know what? But the world has changed. The economy has changed, right? Yeah. It's not so clear cut as it was for us. So they're, they have to forge a new path. Yeah. And I think the balance between, you know, work and personal life, all you know, it, there is more of a balance. Yeah. And it's not, you know, work heavy. Yeah. So good luck to all of those young, I know, young eh? people. <laughs> and I'm a little bit jealous, although, you know what, I feel like I'm finally at the ripe old age of 43, you know, in the last few years have been finding that path for myself too. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that fulfillment. Well, in this incredible, you know, podcast that you're oh, doing. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's what it's all about, right? It's, it's sharing stories like yours of inspiration and empowerment to the world, because I think they're really amazing stories and can just people, so many people can relate to them and learn from them and do better mm-hmm. because of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. thank you for being so open thank you. and sharing today. You're welcome. So what is next for you? What excites you about the future? Oh Lord, where do I start? Um, well, when it comes to cameras for girls and triple F photo tours, once we can travel again, then I uh, totally want to travel to those other countries that have expressed interest I want to um, make sure that the partners that I bring on are going to carry the same message, because if it's not the same message, not then we've lost, right? The end goal is to change a life, to change a life of a, of a girl in a third world country and give her the tools to empower herself, to forge her own life, to forge her dreams. And so that's one of the things we want to do. And then just keep on expanding the connections that we make and obtain that uh, charitable status. That's that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. It occurred to me, is there a message in what you teach these incredibly fortunate young women for them to pay it forward? Well, yeah. So the goal is after they've, um, and I didn't really touch upon this. So after I come back from Uganda, the training continues for a year online through um, like video training and what have you. But they're also told that the next generation of girls who come through the course, they'll be mentors. 
So the whole idea is sort of like a big sister program. Um, if I've come through this, I've gotten something out of it, I give back by mentoring the next one. And I've reached out to photographers in Uganda who are very successful, sort of to have a um, them come and speak to the girls to show that how they got to where they are. So last week, I started an interview online with uh, photographers in Uganda I'm going to do one every week or every two weeks, just so that it can show the girls that, okay, I'm in this, I'm doing this work. Where's it going to get me? Well, you do it. You take all the benefits that it's bringing you. You reach out and you make connections through LinkedIn and other ways and means you will forge your own path and you will get there. But it's not going to be like, hey, I took this course and now I'm ready to, to get. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to work just as hard, if not harder to get what you want. It's it's there for you to take, but yeah. you can't let somebody come along, give you free training and a free camera and think that that's enough. It's yeah. not. We're just the beginning of your journey, but there you do need to give back. You do need to spread it forward. So there's a girl named Sharon who was in my first training in 2018. She is designing her own agency to give a platform to other girls who cannot find jobs in the mainstream media an avenue to get their articles and their photos published so that she would be sort of like a, a conduit for them and they will pay the girl for her contribution. And I'm going to be on the advisory board oh, so that wonderful. I can kind of guide them on how to fundraise, how to, all the things that I'm doing, how do that, how do they do their, there in Uganda? That's great. Yeah. How does that make you feel when you see? Oh yeah. Incredible of, that yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't only me, but that I had a part in changing their life. It just, it's empowering me to go on, to keep doing the work that I'm doing. Alrighty. So now we're going to move on to our final five, which is the same five questions asked of every guest. Are you ready? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, this is a big one. To change the past. And know what I didn't know at the time and make huge changes in how my younger years were spent. Hmm. I think many of that, many of us can relate to that. (laughs) When you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? Literally a doctor. So when I was a kid, because you hear that messaging, right? Yeah. Um, And it wasn't until later uh, when I worked and volunteered at a nursing home in high school and I saw the way patients were treated um, or maltreated. And I became very close to one of the residents whose family never visited her. And um, I would go, she would be, she became like a grandmother to me. And um, she passed away on Christmas, just as I had taken food to her and it shattered my world. And Mm. after that, I didn't want to be anything to do with medical. (laughs) Yeah, it was hard. And to this date, and that was like like when I was 18, to this date, I'll never forget her. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's special. Yeah. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? Oh, this is easy. Seafood. (laughs) Anything but lobster, but seafood and fish and chips. 
Awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love when people know exactly what but, it is. But it can't be like that thick batter on the fish and chips. You got to taste the fish. So the Danes, my husband's Danish. So every time we go to Denmark, we get off the plane and we go and eat these crispiest fish and chips. Nice. Mm. Who is a woman in history or present day you admire? Well, we already talked about her, my yes. sister. <laughs> um, but I'd also say Princess Diana. And um, because of the philanthropy work she did, you know, it doesn't matter at what level of society you are. She didn't care that she was a royal. She cared about people and their well-being and the work she did with landmines and HIV and AIDS. And it was just, yeah, awe-inspiring. Wonderful. And finally, what is your favorite quote? Oh, I've got two. Oh, yes. I love me a good quote. So let me hear them. The first (laughs) one is, if it's not going to matter in five years, don't give it five minutes. I love that. Because I'm a worrier. And every time I start to fret and worry, am I good enough? I remind myself of that one. Mm. And the other one is, because I can't get out of my own head, is ignore the itty bitty shitty committee. Ah, I love that. (laughs) My dog is snoring under the table. I don't know if you can, you guys can hear that. Anyway. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amina. It was so nice to get to know you better. Wonderful. Yeah.